Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you again uh, for this time today. We thank you, Lord, uh, because you uh, continue to accomplish great things in our midst. Uh, Lord God, we understand uh, that you call us and you move us to certain places, and you want us to be responsive. And our prayer is that even today, uh, that this would be a place that we would be responsive to your word, that we would gain the courage and the ability to be all that you have called us to be in Christ Jesus. So, Father, for those who resist this message, Lord God, uh, we come against that spirit right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Those who uh, would say no, Lord God, we pray that their hearts would be pliable. We pray that they would have an openness to everything that the kingdom of God wants to pour out into them today. So, Father, give us hearts of flesh. Allow us to walk in a way uh, that's reflective of whom we serve, and that is Jesus Christ. And then, Father, for those areas in our life uh, that those obstacles remain, Lord, uh, we just call it out, call upon heaven right now, Lord God, to remove those things. And give us the strength, Lord God, uh, to walk past them, Lord God, and not to be fearful. So again, Father, we love you. We thank you today uh, for the things that you're doing in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, on our jobs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18? 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning in verse 28. If you have lived life for any amount of time, one thing that you know, you know that people have problems. You know that we have issues. But to compound that problem, we also know that those people that lead us often have issues as well. Amen? It's not that we hope that they have issues, but we know that they are part of the human race. Because those who lead us have issues, that means that those who follow those who, who lead, who have issues, that means we have issues with those who lead us who have issues. And again, this is what the second part to this message is about, facing the challenge of, of the spear. Leaders have problems. Leaders have problems. Uh, 1 Samuel 18, verse 28 and 29. The passage reads, But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Verse 30. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. 
Well, last time we heard about the problem of King Saul. Uh, talked about, again, how people have problems and leaders have problems. Uh, last time we heard about the problem of King Saul. We read that uh, harmful, harmful spirits overtook him. And when those harmful spirits overtook him, they uh, assaulted his emotions and his spirituality. We didn't discover this last time, but why were these spirits allowed on Saul in the first place? We may have talked about it very briefly, but we know that uh, the spirit harmful spirits that came upon Saul that they were sent or released by the Lord himself. And this was one of the things that perplexed us. Again, how in the world can God, who's supposed to be so good, how can he allow, how can he let loose uh, the harmful spirits on another person, especially when that person belongs to him? Scripture explicitly tells us that it was the Lord's doing. Again, look at 1 Samuel 18, verse 10. 1 Samuel 18, verse 10. And it says here, The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. The next day, a harmful spirit from where? from God, rushed upon Saul. Thank you, Lord. You see, uh, there are always harmful spirits floating around hoping to catch us off guard and off our game. It's always around here, uh, there are harmful spirits hoping to catch us off of our game. We also saw this with the story of Job. Remember Job? Job chapter 1 verse 7 says, The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Uh, Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Job 1 and 7. Uh, so uh, again, the enemy, that his desire is to see us harmed. The devil wants to see you harm. The devil wants to see you compromise. In fact, uh, the Apostle Peter, he also confirms this spiritual reality uh, that is in full swing even after the church has been formed. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Peter says this. He says, be sober-minded. He says, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So when you put Job chapter 1 verse 7 with 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, and you ask yourself, what was Satan doing? Uh, going to and forth on the earth, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 tells us he was doing what? Seeking someone to what? To devour. 
That's his desire. He wants, us, he wants to catch us off of our game. You see, the devil and his cohorts, they are opportunistic thieves hoping to walk down the street uh, checking to see if the door of your house is unlocked. Have you ever seen people do that? I've seen people do that before. Uh, not on houses, not on homes, but on cars. I've seen uh, folks at nighttime uh, walking around checking car doors. Why do you think they're checking car doors? You see, they're not going to simply break in, but they're just looking for an opportunity uh, that the door will be unlocked. You see, if the door is unlocked and those thieves will come in and they will take your stuff. If it's unlocked, he opens it. He takes advantage of the situation because someone has been careless. Now you, as an individual, that you uh, may not have invited them into your house, in fact, into your spiritual house, but you certainly left the door unlocked because you are not doing those things to keep yourself protected against those dark forces that continue to assault you and to assault your man, your, your, your entire family. You see, those dark forces are masters of taking advantage of a spiritual house when it's not in order. Dark forces are masters of taking advantage of you when your spiritual house is not in order. And here, in 1 Samuel 18, King Saul's spiritual house was not in order. His house was not in order. He left the door unlocked due to his rebellion. He was careless and thought the power of God to be ineffective or stagnant, so he went off and did his own thing. Some of us, we simply don't care. We've learned not to care because we ask the question, ourselves the question, what difference does it really make anyway? What difference does it make if I do this? God doesn't care. God's not going to punish me. Again, this is something that we must be aware of, else we get trapped in this downward spiral of a spiritual darkness and ineffectiveness. We must be on guard uh, concerning our spiritual house. Our spiritual house must be in order. If you don't keep your spiritual house in order, then who's going to make sure it's in order? Your neighbor? Your friend? Your boss? Your brother? Your sister? Who's going to keep your spiritual house in order? But we see here, we're talking about King Saul, and we're talking about David, the up-and-coming king. And one of the things that we find out is that any time that you have continued success, those who oppose you, they are totally infuriated. Your continued success infuriates your opposition. In other words, they can't stand you. They don't like the idea that you may be promoted. They don't like the idea that you keep getting all your work done. 1 Samuel 19, verse 1. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants. 
that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. See, we must be aware of this, be aware of this fact that there are those who are out there who, who wants to see us harm, who wants to see us emotionally damaged. David was nothing but, a, uh, nothing but an innocent bystander. And all he wanted to do was just worship God. He just wanted to get up, worship God. He wanted to serve his community, serve his nation as a Yahweh lover. We, however, as the reader, you, however, as the reader of this book, you take the position of being omniscient. And this is probably one of the few times you can say you're like God, right? Uh, that you are omniscient like God. How are you omniscient like God? You're omniscient like God because you know exactly what's going on in the mind and in the heart of King Saul. David didn't know. But you know, while we are certainly not God, we know the thoughts of this king. And one thing that we know is that he was insecure before he took his kingship. Which is why you have to look at a person's character before you elevate them to a position of leadership. Amen? You must look at their character first because if they have major flaws in their character before they are leaders, when they become a leader, don't you think those major flaws are going to come out? You can't say that you're surprised. You can't say that you're surprised that they're stealing money. You can't uh, say that you're surprised that they want to have all power and fire people they don't like. You can't be surprised because that's the way they've always been. Saul was an insecure person even before uh, he was elevated to the position of king. But if this is true, why do some people continue to stay on toxic jobs or remain in toxic relationships knowing that here is a person uh, that has a flawed character? We say, I don't understand why they're like that, but we know full well why they're like that. We understand that you are someone you know uh, that they remain on the job. We know why you remain on that job. We know why you remain in that particular class when things are not going well. We understand oftentimes it's because simply of financial considerations. You've got to pay bills. So you stay on that job. You stay in that toxic relationship. I heard a song yesterday I hadn't heard in many, many years. You may remember that song, some of you older folks. That song was called, It's Cheaper to Keeper. Remember that song? Uh, as he begins to sing the lyrics to that song, he was saying, it's cheaper to keep her because if you get rid of her, you're going to end up with nothing. You're going to end up broke. So instead of ending up broke, you better go ahead and do what you're supposed to do and you stay with that woman. He goes on to say, because it's cheaper to keep her. Keep her. So oftentimes we remain on those jobs when they're very toxic, when they're killing us because of financial considerations. We must 
pay the bills, and then those who are looking uh, uh, from the outside, looking at them, we say things like, uh, if that was me, I would go ahead and leave in a second. Would you really now? Some people really try to stick it out, you see, with the hopes that things will get turned around quickly. It was not always like that, they say. And there's hope down the road. I'm just hoping maybe another uh, two years, another five years, another ten years, and they'll be gone. And then I'll finally be free of this mess. But understand that when some people have it out for you, ethics and even laws are thrown totally out the window. When some people have it out for you, ethics and laws are thrown totally out the window. I was amazed years ago when a certain uh, leader of our state here uh, said all the things that uh, he did not know were laws, didn't realize some of the things he was saying or some of the things that he wanted to do, didn't realize that, that, that they were, there were actually laws and things against that. I was really amazed because at one particular point I, I worked for uh, the state university system. And working for the state university system, uh, they made you take an ethics exam. So I'm like, well, wait a minute. Why is little old me, I have to take an ethnic exam, and he doesn't have to take one? Or she, whoever it was. It could have been a she, right? Why is that? You see, when some people have things already uh, tidied up in their heart, have made a decision in their heart, they don't care about ethics. They don't care about laws. They're just going to do what they want to do, and they're going to roughshod, and they're going to run over whoever they desire along the way, including you. So we know that King Saul, he was familiar with the laws of Israel. He was king. He had to know about the laws of Israel. All of Israel had to know about that, especially the law like, thou shalt not kill. You think King Saul knew that law? Why did he not run towards God's word and obey? Why did he run away from the, uh, God's word and do his own thing? There's a simple explanation for this one. It's because he was already in violation of God's word and therefore had no problem violating the rest. You see, when you violate God's word in one particular area, uh, you begin to develop a resistance. Right, they're saying that they have come up with a new way of helping uh, those children uh, not to be so negatively impacted uh, by peanuts, those who have peanut allergies. And how do they develop uh, that resistance against that peanut, uh, that peanut uh, allergen for them? Well, what they have decided to do was they created a vaccine uh, that they put just a little tiny bit, give the, give the kid or, or the adult a shot, just a little tiny bit of the peanut vaccine inside of him. So they literally put part of the peanut inside of the individual. Why? Because if you get just a little bit, then your body begins to develop a resistance against that. So therefore, uh, down the line, when you are exposed to more of it, uh, you are stronger, you can stand strong against it. Same thing happens with God's Word. First, we learn just to resist just a little bit. Just a little bit. And then when next time God's Word comes along, we get a little stronger, we can resist a little bit more. And then the next time God's Word comes along, we become stronger and we can resist a little bit more. 
And then next time you're looking months or maybe a year or two down the line and they're hearing God's word day in and day out and you're wondering, how can they sit there? How can they stand and resist God's word? Simple. Because they started with just a little bit of rebellion. They accepted just a little bit. So now, as Scripture says, their their consciousness has been seared as with a hot iron. Nothing can get past that. So he was already, Saul was, already in violation of God's word. And therefore he had no problem violating the rest. Again, uh, this is that point where we push against what we know is right until what matters to God is no longer a big issue. We can come to church and sit there and never be convicted. Did you know that? That some of us can come to church week after week and hear God's word, and God's word never convict us, not one iota? Since Jesus hasn't dealt with us up to this point, it probably doesn't matter to him. Maybe all that stuff isn't real, and oftentimes this is the point that people even leave the church. They have started with just a little bit of resistance against God's word. Then they get stronger. Then they get stronger. Then they get stronger. Then they finally say to themselves, it's probably not even real. Uh, so therefore, I'm just leaving the church because it doesn't even matter. Conscience is being seared as with a hot iron. So in one sense, this message is also about returning to the Lord and not taking on the consequences of sin. So now, Let's look at uh, Saul again and what was so obvious about his assault against David. And there's a point here as well. 1 Samuel 18, verse 11. We read this last time. It says, And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. Remember I said last time uh, that Saul was trying to, uh, to make David part of the artwork. And then 1 Samuel Uh, Chapter 18, verse 17, last part of the verse. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. In other words, I'll send him out to a position that he would end up dead. 1 Samuel 18, verse 21. Saul thought, let me give uh, her to him that she may be a snare for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Let me give him a woman, so therefore he'll be open to the Philistines and they'll kill him. 1 Samuel 19, verse 1, and Saul spoke to Jonathan his son, to all his servants, that they should kill David. You see the progression that's happening here? 1 Samuel 19, verse 11, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. So in other words, they sent messages so they would end up killing David. Uh, Saul had it out for him. And then 1 Samuel 19, verse 15, and I can go on, but this will be the last one. 1 Samuel 19, 15, then Saul sent messengers to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. Saul was really trying to be sneaky, wasn't he? Saul just didn't care. So it's perfectly clear that at this point, Saul, he didn't care who saw or heard him trying to eliminate David, who was his subordinate. 
David was his enemy. And why was David his enemy? It says when we read in that very first verse, uh, 1 Samuel 18, 28, it says, But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David uh, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of him. You see, the more you walk with the Lord, the more your adversary hates you. Saul could have just fired him. You know what, David? You are relieved from your duty. Go on back home to Jesse, your daddy. Right? Go on back home to your brothers and just leave me alone. He could have just dismissed them, right? Some leaders want to make sure their underlings are not just fired. They want to make sure that you are humiliated. They want to make sure that you are shamed. They want to make sure that you are embarrassed. But in many cases today, we can thank God for some of the unions, the EEOC, and other organizations that help people who would otherwise not have a voice. You can thank God for some of those organizations. Why? Because uh, there is an inherent problem with people who are endowed with a sense of total power. Total power leadership is a problem for anyone who disagrees with that leadership in any capacity. This is why I appreciate uh, the power structure of our nation. That you have that executive branch, and then you have Congress, and then you have the judicial branch. Uh, this is why I appreciate, uh, to a degree, that uh, to have different political parties in different places. Because when you have one, that's when you oftentimes get your mess. There is not one to keep another in check. Face it. Our nation will never get it, get it all right. Why? Because of sin which courses through the hearts of people, including those who insist they are believers in Jesus Christ. They say they are believers in Jesus Christ, but they don't act like they are believers in Jesus Christ. We must ask the question as to the degree of their maturity. And now, uh, just because a person has ascended to a certain political level, in the political sphere or in the civil sphere, in the arts of, or other organizational power, does it mean that they are automatically spiritually mature? Right? So just because someone is your boss, that does not mean that they are automatically spiritually mature. Can you say amen to that? That does not mean they are spiritually mature. God may call you to minister to that person. True that they may be the most powerful person in the land, like King Saul, uh, but it doesn't mean that they have it all together with the Lord. What a danger it is for the spiritually immature person to, to wield such great uh, power. We've seen this in the cults and other nations that uh, are never able to lift up their citizens. It's a danger not only because of those leaders and the, way, and the way that they handle their power, but also with those hoping to benefit from that power. And so on the one hand, you have the person who wants total power, right? They want to be able to call all the shots. And then you have these other underlings who are up under there, and what they want to do is they want to benefit from that person who has total power. So what do they do? I'll do anything you tell me to do. You just name it and I'll follow you. And for some, even when it's wrong, they will follow them. Is that you? Is your boss 
You're a teacher. Are they doing things that you know that is wrong? But yet are you sitting there saying nothing, hoping that you'll get that promotion one day? Will you be like Jonathan, who said in 1 Samuel 19, verse 2, and Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. So what if you are on the receiving end of all this? You find yourself in this position. You have a, a boss who's jacked up, and you have some co-workers. All they're doing is, uh, you know what we say, they are cozying up to that boss. So you know no matter where you turn, you're going to have problems. What do you do? What do you do? This is that place where you feel as if you've hit a wall. You feel as if the system is rigged against you. Right now, right now, and I do mean right now, literally, right now. Uh, we have a case that is going to start, I believe it's going to start tomorrow. I said right now, it's going to start tomorrow. In which a certain employee witnessed the wrongdoing and the abuse of power in their organization. And they have finally decided within themselves for whatever reason, maybe because they wanted to be true to self, maybe it's because they didn't want to go to jail. I'm not certain. But they had finally decided that they would tell the truth. But what has happened is that all of this person's co-workers their bosses, I call them rats. Like, how can you be a rat if you're telling the truth, you see? How can you be a rat if you're telling the truth? Call them a, a liar. Even though it looks like they're caught anyway in their own lies. But for this person, they are now, now even afraid of doing their job because they believe that there's not going to be anyone who's going to back them up when it's time for them to do their job. They're going to leave them high and dry. They're calling that person every ungodly name under the sun because they refused, uh, that person refused to go along with the status quo. But you see, if you refuse to go along with the status quo, it may cost you something. Oh, it's not going to be easy. David probably felt no different. With the exception is that he had a fervent relationship with the Lord. But one of the things that we learn in Scripture, and here it is, and this may seem a little ironic, but don't strike back. Don't strike back. I hear you saying, what? Don't strike back because God says vengeance belongs to him. Don't strike back because God says vengeance belongs to him. That's hard. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35. And I hear some of you saying, but aren't you going to the law? But just hold on. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. God says this, vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom 
comes swiftly. Well, does this this mean that I don't speak up on my job? No, that's not what that means. You still need to speak up. That means don't take the matters into your own hands and try to get back at them. That's what that means. Don't you try to punish them. See, this is one of our, another one of our struggles. We struggle because we would like to know when the Lord is going to deal with them. Because if God is not going to deal with them now, then you know what? Then sure enough, I'm going to go ahead and take care of them myself. Because God is just taking too long, we sometimes say. But imagine this is exactly where David found himself. You heard this last time. You know, David was doing his thing. Right, he was there going out to battle. Remember I said last time he came back and he was whistling, right, because he had great success. And then he would come back and he'd play his little guitar for King Saul and and King Saul would just look at him all mean, wanting to kill him. And And then King Saul would throw his spear at him because he was trying to get rid of him. And then David would jump out of the way and he would keep moving. Then then King Saul would send him out to battle. And then David would come back whistling again because he would come back safe. Why is it that David uh, kept coming back safe? Because he was anointed of God. Are you anointed of God? You see, if you have the anointing of God, regardless of what the adversary may throw at you, the devil, he will not be successful. Doesn't make a difference. They can talk about you. They can write you up. Lord knows I've been there. They can do all these things, but ultimately you know who you are and know that you are anointed in the Lord. It was impossible at this point anyway for David to get his revenge, even if he wanted to get back his Saul. For David, the whole system was stacked against him. He couldn't even accomplish anything that he wanted, even defending himself. So he not only had, as he was trying to defend himself against a king who had it out for him, but now defending him against the soldiers whom Saul was sending against him. You know what I tell you to do? I tell you, go ahead, speak up, be strong in the Lord. But know this, that it may cost you your job. Because that leader, they want you to follow them. They never want you to question one thing that they say. You just do it. You can be a part of the club. We know what was going on in the heart of King Saul, but what was going on in the heart of the men who was following him, who knew that maybe our king had finally gone off his rocker. Maybe your boss had finally gone off on the deep end. They had to see the unfairness. They had to grasp the hypocrisy. They had to understand the innocence of David. They had to witness Saul being tormented by his own hubris. You see, the duplicitous lies that we lives that we lead, it plays out on the stage of everyday life and the decisions we make and the lies that we tell ourselves, and the lies that we tell other folks. How can you win against a system that is against you and always seem to favor the corrupt 
the greedy, and the power-hungry unless you join them. And I tell you, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, the heart of the Lord, you need to know his heart. You need to know, we need to know God's heart. And as we know God's heart, we need to know our own heart as well. Knowing the heart of the Lord requires you know what he says. And what we know he says is, is the truth. And it is his words that are driving us to holiness. David had plenty of opportunities to deal with Saul. So even after all of this, uh, David could have gotten rid of Saul. But he rejected all of that. Really? Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 24, please. 1 Samuel chapter 24, beginning in verse 4. They had finally managed to run David away. And then as they were away... David and his men heard that King Saul was in a certain place. And this picks it up here. And the men of David said to him, the men of David said to David, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Verse 5. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, or the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David pursued his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. So here, finally, once and for all, Saul's been trying to kill David. Saul is on a, a, a witch, witch hunt after him. And now David finds King Saul's sleep and he can take advantage of and get rid of him because David had already been anointed king by this time. So David would be king if he get rid of the other king. But David said, no, uh, because he is the Lord's anointed. But I don't understand. How can there be two kings? You have King Saul that David said is the Lord's anointed. And they had anointed David now to be king in Israel. Was Saul anointed? Was David anointed? Were they both anointed? I'm here to tell you. I'm going to get back to that in a second. That getting our revenge isn't always as sweet as we think it is. Sometimes, you know, when, when folks mess with you, you know, you just really want to do them in, don't you? Tell the truth now, come on. You know that sometimes uh, people just mess with you just, uh, just to the point that you said, I had enough, I had enough. It happened to me one time. I used to have a I used to have a bully in elementary school. I used to have a bully in elementary school. And this guy, he just met, I was like in first and second grade. I'm like, man, give me a break. And this guy, he was following me home, right? Threatening to beat me up at 3.15. And I didn't understand why he was so mean to me. Then finally, I think once we reached third grade, 
I just finally had enough. I was, you know, sometimes you just get sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know what I mean? Amen. And then finally, I just said, I had enough. I ain't running no more. Today, I'm fighting. And that's what I did. And he never messed with me again after that day. You better believe that. But getting revenge, sometimes when you, you're trying to hurt another person, it isn't as uh, sweet or as good as you think that it is. Because we must realize that there's oftentimes something more deeper inside of us that hurts. And we just don't want to recognize it. Why? Because we don't want to be viewed as being vulnerable or thought of in a way that empower those who desire to hurt us. So what people see on the outside of us is not really uh, what's going on the inside of us. Again, this duplicity. Our world is full of duplicitous purple people. Purple people, right? Our world is full of duplicitous people. But how else are we to protect ourselves unless we put on this outer shell, we put on this mask, we put on this uniform, we, we put on this outfit that says this is us and we know that's not really us? And then they go hard and we go harder. Whatever they do to us, we hit them twice as hard, ensuring that they will never do it again. You will never try that again another day in your life. But then we find out it doesn't feel as good as we thought it did. Now David uh, could have easily mentioned and acted on the fact of who he was, going back to this idea of being anointed now, uh, that, that who he was, that he was anointed, therefore he could take advantage of King Saul, he can go ahead and kill him. He could have told uh, King Saul, Saul, oh Saul, oh Saul, your time is up as king, there is a new king in the kingdom, and I'm it. You see, each of us, we have a specific time frame for our leadership. All of us. Time is ticking. The alarm clock has been set for all of us on all of our leadership. And sometimes we don't want to give up. So how do we deal with the challenge of the spear? 1 Samuel 24, verse 6 now. 1 Samuel 24, verse 6. Again, he says, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Again, this idea, well, was he anointed? Was he not anointed? I don't get it. We saw this earlier. So the idea, and here it is, is that Saul, he was anointed. Saul was anointed. David was, was also anointed. Uh, what Saul was walking in, he was walking in the anointed of the anointing of his office. You see, if you recall in the passage, God had already rejected him as king. He was already done as king. He was finished as king. As far as his personal ministry was concerned, but the office of kingship was anointed. But his personal ministry was over. 
So David recognized that fact. He says, Saul was still walking in the office of the anointed king. Even though David himself, he was anointed king, he was not walking in the office as the anointed king. Therefore, he understood, I cannot lay a hand against this person because he is in his office, whether I agree with it or not. But yet, David was not foolish. He would not just stand there and let Saul kill him. He ran away. Amen? Can you say amen? So don't stand there and let people take advantage of you. Don't stand there and let people hurt you. So how do you deal with this? Number one, by recognizing the anointing of the Lord. No, understand that they are in that office until they're not in that office. That gives us wisdom. And then number two, and this is it. Pray for those who unfairly challenge you. Pray for those, for those, uh, of those folks who are trying to take advantage of you. Oh, be wise, right? If you, don't, uh, if you can't be around them, if you find a reason to get away from being around them, then you do that. But you do your job, amen? Don't you start saying, well, I'm not going to do nothing on my job anymore. Don't do that because you're going to end up like the fool and then that leader, leader is going to end up firing you for doing nothing. So you must be faithful on your job. You do everything that you sign on to do. Can you say amen? So I want you all to remember now, Pastor Spencer never told you don't go to work and do nothing because your boss don't like you. If you do that, you are acting like a fool. Can you say amen? Okay, now, I didn't, uh, that's not what I said. What I'm saying is you get away, you work hard, but you pray for them. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and many of you know this passage. Paul says, first of all, then, I urge supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Verse 2, for kings, and all who are in high positions. Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Well, I want to tell you that, you know, sometimes you can pray for those kings, those presidents, those governors, those managers, those directors, whoever you are, have to answer to, and they still won't allow you to live a peaceful and quiet life. They're still not going to allow that to happen. But you walk in the godliness, and you walk in a dignified manner in every single way. Can you say amen to that? So prayer, it always comes up because it is our, our first protection against all the mess. So if you don't have any mess going on at your job, you better keep praying. Can you say amen? If you have mess going on at your job, then you pray for those who are in leadership over you and you do all that you signed on to do. You see, prayer, it demonstrates our dependence on the Lord. It shows him that ultimately we trust him for our deliverance. We trust him to rescue us even from the most difficult of situations that we don't even understand. So as I have said before and will do in the future, I encourage you to pray for those who challenge you spiritually. 
and pray for those who challenge you on your job. And in the process of asking the Lord to change them, the Lord is also going to change you as well. So I know sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's hard, but I want you to be strong and you hang in there. And at the end of the day, God will be victorious in your life and he will be victorious on your job and he will be victorious at your school. Can you say amen? And also in your household too. Sometimes we have challenges in the household. Can you say amen? Sometimes there are challenges there. God will be faithful. Continue to pray. But also recognize those who are in leadership over us. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you again for our magnificence. We love you. We thank you. You have called us, Lord God, to such a task. Lord God, we hear this and we recognize that you, you're calling us to something that we can't do. Lord, we can't do it. We admit to you, we confess to you that we can't do this. That it's hard to pray for those who are in leadership over, the, over us, especially when they have it out for us, Lord God. So we ask you today to give us strength. Give us strength, Lord God, to walk in a way that is pleasing in your sight, that gives a good testimony to Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray for everyone in here who have struggles on their jobs. I'm praying for everyone, Lord God, that you would give them a breakthrough, Lord God, and that you would just give their leaders, if they're having trouble with their leaders, their managers, their directors, their bosses, Lord God, those who are over them, Lord God, we pray that you would just break their hearts, that you would give them a contrite heart, give them humility, Lord. That is our prayer. That is our prayer, Lord God. And then for my brothers and sisters, I pray for them that they would be strong, they would stand firm.